Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 52 of the Unweaving Chronic Pain Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea Moore, chronic pain specialist. And as always, this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice. Before we dive into today's episode, which is so freaking good, by the way, I just want to let you know that it is not too late to sign up for my upcoming free 90-minute masterclass that is all about not letting chronic pain stop you from living life. In this masterclass, I'm going to be showing you how you can live an active and fulfilling life now. A way to stop using all of your precious time and energy and mental resources into doom googling about pain and losing out on precious moments with your family and friends because you were fearing yet another flare-up. And how to stop anxiously spiraling about your pain when it does happen because, man, it's frustrating when it happens, right? It's hard to not let our brains take over. So what can we do instead? Here's the thing. There is a really common approach that I see people take towards their pain that actually unintentionally is keeping them in pain. And I'm going to show you exactly what you might be doing that is actually keeping you in pain, even though you think it's supposed to be helping you, and what to do instead. Because by approaching your pain in a different way, you can finally stop all the bracing, all the hypervigilance, and open to all that life has to offer. Through this masterclass, you're going to be able to live life rather than spending all your time managing pain. You will be able to say yes to that weekend hike with your friends. You'll be able to lean in instead of recoiling when your partner pulls you in for a hug. Finally, you will be able to just approach your pain with confidence, without the self-judgment, without the self-deprecation, and you can really learn how you can approach your pain with compassion and not keep unintentionally prolonging it. So please sign up. The link is in the show notes. It is in my Instagram bio. If you can't find it for some reason, DM me and I cannot wait to see you there. Oh, and if for some reason you cannot join live, no worries. As long as you register, you do have to register. I will be sending out a replay as soon as I can right after the master class. All right, so now let's dive into today's episode. I have a very special guest on. His name is TJ Meager. He is an ICF certified mindset coach from New York. His focus is on helping high-achieving perfectionists stop procrastinating and overthinking. He also coaches HR teams on how to develop coaching skills, and you can find him on Instagram at TJ Meager. I will link it in the show notes because it's actually at underscore TJ Meager or tjmeager.com. Today in this interview, we dive into the links between perfectionism, overthinking, and procrastination. We talk about different approaches to pursuing our passions and what can drive us. And if you have been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that engaging in patterns such as perfectionism, overthinking, and even procrastination, we haven't talked about that one a whole ton, but you'll see how it links into perfectionism here, 
how that can lead to hypervigilance in our systems. When these patterns go unaddressed, they will maintain our systems nervous or nervous system sensitivity, and that can keep us in pain. So listen into today's episode, especially if you identify or have identified with past episodes that discuss perfectionism, because TJ is absolutely brilliant at breaking down these patterns and helping you learn a new way that is just so much more supportive. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Thank you so much for being here, TJ. I'm so excited to talk to you. Before we like dive into all the big things that I'm excited to talk to you about, about perfectionism and overthinking and all of that good stuff, why don't you let people know just a little bit about you and your work and how you arrived in that, which I know could probably be hours, but let's get a bit brief summary there. <laughs> yeah. So first off, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. I know we did ours, our other talk mm-hmm. maybe a couple months ago, but it was nice. So I'm glad we're doing this. Uh, for me, I'm TJ. I'm a mindset coach. I'm mostly focused on perfectionists that have, that have struggled with per, uh, procrastination and overthinking. That's like the main thing. That's the That's what I see a lot of in perfectionism. And how I got here is that I've dealt with it. Like I've been a perfectionist, like, and I didn't know it. I didn't know it for a lot of my life. I was just like very self-critical and very anxious. And I didn't know why. I just really Mm -hmm. didn't understand what it was going, what was going on with me. But really what happened was after years of building my business and catching myself, beating myself up, you know, like kind of yelling at myself or, you know, kind of the internal dialogue of just shaming myself. I was like, what's going on here? Like, what's Mm -hmm. really, what is this about? Is this normal? Like, I don't, I didn't really understand it all. So although originally when I started life coaching, I was very much focused on maybe life purpose and discovering that because uh, I have a a past with existentialism and, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, we talked about that, right. But more so what, what what struck a chord with me really more deeply was the way that I was criticizing myself, the way that I was constantly anxious, the way that I was um, procrastinating. And I, did, I wanted to understand that really. So I just yeah. like, I got my own coach. Um, we started to talk about perfectionism and I was like, everything is resonating. Everything you're saying is resonating. And I just like started to explore more and more. And I discovered like, holy shit, I'm a perfectionist. And uh, yes. Yeah. And it was so helpful to understand that because that was the beginning of my journey of unraveling what was underneath that and all the misconceptions I had about productivity and all the misconceptions I had about earning worth, all the misconceptions I had that I grew up with, right? That I didn't mm-hmm. really know. Um, I, I performed at a high level with um, with baseball and a couple of different things, but um, unraveling that, that um it meant going through the, the stories of shame that I had and that I was still holding on to. And so that was my personal journey of beating myself up and procrastinating in my business, right? Mm-hmm. And then shifting towards perfectionism as a focus. And then after that, it was, <clears throat> it was really just through exploring personal stuff and also with my clients, just understanding the ways in which they are uh, kind of, kind of twist themselves up and untangle themselves Mm up, you know, because we're not necessarily lost. We're just very tangled up. We're doing things that cause, you know, 
yes. with cause other things. And yeah, so I, I think that that's my journey of how I got here is just that personal journey and then learning uh, how to uh, untangle my clients in some way. I love that you use untangled since my podcast is unweaving chronic pain. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's so conscious. Totally. No, I love it because it is so true. And I think I just want to link, I mean, just really quickly of just that tangled feeling that like self-criticism, all of that, it leads to so much constriction in the body. It leads to bracing and this directly can create chronic pain in the body. And so it is. So if you relate to anything that TJ is saying and also happen to have chronic pain, it's like they are likely more linked or maybe by now you've, you've linked them together, depending on how much you've listened to this podcast. But it's like, I think that connection isn't talked about enough in the chronic pain world. So I love, I, I was just so excited to bring you on because, you know, you're like an expert and an authority on perfectionism and can speak to this piece so well. And I just want to like bridge that gap there. And, but yeah, anyways, but what I, what I really want to say about your story that I didn't know this part is that you didn't realize you were a perfectionist. And I related to that. I relate to that so much. Like I called myself a perfectionist in denial because I also had the perfectionism with massive amounts of self-deprecation and self-criticism. And so for me, it was like, well, how could I possibly be a perfectionist? I suck at everything. I'm doing a terrible job at everything. Right? There's that inner voice that's like, nothing you're doing is anywhere near perfect. So like, clearly you can't be a perfectionist, right? So I'm curious, what, what made you realize if there was one thing or something of like, finally, like connect that dot, those like dots for yourself? For me, I think it's a common one that people mm -hmm. come to at some point in their journey. But I realized that I actually wasn't striving for excellence. Like I wasn't, mm -hmm. I wasn't actually, I really, I, I told myself a story that I was like, I, it, it, the perfectionism, this, this criticism, this pressure, it's because I have such high standards for myself and I am going to be the best. And this is helpful. And, and I had this story, but when I really explored that and kind of saw some of my blind spots with the help of my coach, with the help of reading all this kind of stuff, what I really discovered is that I was actually not what's called approach motivation. I was, uh, I was using avoidance motivation. I was actually avoiding my own self-criticism, you know, the internalized voices that I was scared to hear from others. I was actually avoiding a bunch of shame and negativity. And I didn't know it. I didn't know that that's why I was forcing myself to do things I didn't want to do or pushing myself or, uh, or beating myself up. I didn't know what that was about. I, I thought that that was really because I really wanted to succeed. And I did, right? But it wasn't for the reasons that I thought it was. I really mm -hmm. thought mm -hmm. that it was about me being the best I could be, right? But it's, it, it wasn't. That was the story I just told myself to justify how much I beat the shit out of myself. Yes. You know, oh my that, gosh, yeah. That was the big, big shift there. I was like, oh shit, I'm actually just avoiding a whole bunch of anxiety and, and low self-worth. Mm -hmm. And all of that's what this is about. So that, that was the big aha for me is realizing that I was just avoiding shame. Yes. Oh my gosh. I relate so deeply to what you're saying. Cause I would say it was very, very similar for myself of just like really how much the perfectionism and the striving was 
very much about, yeah, the avoidance, but also I think so much was avoiding the having to grapple with my like low self-worth concept. Um, because man, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there, but you said something that's so interesting of the, the approach and I hadn't, I haven't heard that um, terminology before. So I like that the approach motivation versus the, the avoidant one. And I know for myself that I had so much fear in even exploring the self-criticism piece because it felt like if that got taken away, like if all of a sudden I was someone who spoke kindly and compassionately to myself, then I would definitely become a piece of shit that just sat on the couch and did nothing. Because to have motivation from a place of what you called approach, I'd love you for you to speak to that, what that means more. It felt like, like I would, that didn't even feel like a possibility to just have motivation from a place that wasn't so fear and avoidant driven, but I had no idea, right? There was just like no, yeah, like touchstone for that at all. So can you speak to that a little bit more of like, what, what's the difference between the two pieces there or the two approaches? Yeah, right. So for, that's another, like you bring up such a good point about, <clears throat> about the anxiety and how that drives us. You bring up such a good point because this is the common, uh, like, wait a minute, I can't get rid of this, right? It's, a, it's mm-hmm. the common reason why we stay stuck as perfectionists is because we think that we need it. Yes. Right? We think that we, we have to hold on to it. And it's that, it's that misconception that, like you just said, if we don't have that pressure that we're not going to act, right? Mm-hmm. But actually it's the opposite because we have at any time both avoidance motivation, which is driving us away from things we don't want, and approach motivation, driving us towards things that we do want. So at any time we have both of these motivations and it's not that we wanna get rid of one or the other, it's that if we're constantly stuck in the anxiety, we're going to be focused so much on not fucking things up that we're gonna be afraid to start. So if we're too much focused on the avoidance and it's too high of a risk, right? Too high of a risk to, to risk failing because we know that we have to do everything perfectly and it's going to take so long to do because I have to do it perfectly. Why even start? Why even totally. do it, right? So that to make it very simple, the approach motivation is things that we want, that we, that we want and things that we don't want is the avoidance motivation. And when we feel like, okay, I need to use that negative motivation to drive me forward, to say, okay, I don't want this. This can't happen. I have to, because we don't trust ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why we feel that we need to hold on and control, right? Is that we don't trust ourselves to be able to rely on that passion, right? That, that desire to what we do actually want. We Mm -hmm. think that it's, it's not enough. The vision isn't clear enough, or it's not propelling enough, right? We, you know, we feel that we can't use that as motivation because we are, we are lazy, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the, I, I am lazy. I can't do it without the self-criticism. And we usually develop these ideas based on either our childhood or maybe in our, our teenage years of that kind of story of, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, sometimes teachers will shame you or parents will shame you as a as a motivation tactic, 
-hmm. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. That is supposed to be motivational, but it increases the shame, which, and shame is a freeze response in the body towards threat, which makes you avoid, right? It's only doing its job. Shame is only doing its job. So the thing that was supposed to motivate you actually made you believe that you're in, you're inherently a lazy person and a bad person for having anxiety, for avoiding things, for not following through, which only perpetuates that cycle of, I need to control. I yes. need to control. I need to force. I can't let this happen, right? Mm-hmm. That That's why the avoidance, the story of, I have to control this. I have to not let this happen. I have to avoid that, that I have to use anxiety. That's where it comes from is that we develop these beliefs that, oh, I am lazy. Meanwhile, if you really look at the evidence of your life, the times when you're really in a flow are yes, when you're challenged, but also when you're engaged and interested and confident. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, so good. And yeah, I just like want to highlight everything you just said, but what I really <laughs> want to pull out, it was so fascinating to even like, just, just like, obviously most people are going to be listening to this and not being able to watch you, but to watch you talk about it and just like your body language around it of like, that like, like need to hold on at the control of the mm-hmm. pressure. It's, it's very like, he's like literally like constricting himself, right? Cause anybody listening right now, it's like, what do those feelings do for your body? It's they make it constrict. You brace, you're tensing, right? Versus what you said, like when your demeanor completely changed when you said that last sentence, right? Of just like being challenged, but confident. And I forgot the other words you used, but yes, right? It was just like a total like relaxation and like openness that we can operate from. And so let's touch more on that piece because I think that is such a sometimes challenging piece for people to grapple with of the, or I know I grappled with it too, of just, well, I don't want just everything to be like, easy for me or flowy like that doesn't seem right either right or most people feel like oh but if it doesn't have ease in it then I'm doing it wrong and I think this is such like a misconception that I know I used to believe 100% when I was first in the self-development world it it was like if something feels hard I must be doing it wrong Mm -hmm. versus there is such a difference between a a hard because you're beating yourself up versus a good healthy challenge that feels like amazing. And that is like where humans thrive out of. So can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I also want you to yeah. clarify, like, what is the, what is the piece that you want to speak towards? It's oh, like the, the challenge or the challenge like- piece. Yeah. Like that it's, <clears throat> I think sometimes again, the self, at least for me, the self-development world's the belief that I had to do so much, so much undoing around and still find myself having to do undoing around is this thing should be easy. If ever, if you're doing everything that's in alignment and you're listening to your body, it should feel like effortless and easy. And it's, I've had these moments where I've had a lot of moments now where I'm doing something that is challenging and there is a flow, there is an ease to it. But it's different than an easy, like, oh, I'm adding one plus one easy, right? Like that mm. doesn't feel exciting, right? <laughs> so it's like, how do we find that balance? And same thing with where I want to like link it to to pain for a second. And obviously you can speak to it in like, actually, let's not even link it to pain. Let's just keep it, whatever. For like somebody, for instance, who maybe they have an online business and it feels really scary for them to get on video. 
or to get on like IG stories or to like get on a live, right? They feel like, oh, well, if my business was aligned, if this was right, this would feel easy. So I'm going to take the fact that it feels hard and uncomfortable as a sign that it's not right for me when the opposite is can, can be true. So yeah, go riff off of wherever that, or I could speak more, but <laughs> do you see where yeah. I'm going with that? If I'm not saying it very clearly, but yeah. No, what comes up for me is mm-hmm. that it's still within the framework of black and white thinking, which mm-hmm. is very much linked to perfectionism, right? Oh, so good. But yes. It's, it's that idea that it, it's almost a rebuttal. I see that that whole movement towards uh, earn with ease, you know, like that kind of like that, mm-hmm. that that idea that it has to, in order if it's aligned, it has to be easy coming and flowing and and, and total confidence and, and then everything's going to come to me, right? That just like kind of um, blind uh, attraction, right? Mm-hmm. Love attraction. But to me, that in some way is trapped within a uh, rebellion or rebuttal to the other kind of hustle culture, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's like, yeah, hustle, you have to go and, and earn everything and you have to, you know, work your ass off and work 12 hour days. And I think that that kind of these two camps can mm-hmm. sometimes attract at, attract and pull in people that want to simplify it and simplify yes. life and black and white thinkers who can sometimes be very, on the extremes of like, no, it has to be, it has to be easy, right? It has to be easy. Whereas there is, there can be a shift. There can be a mental shift to where we can allow room between these two options. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be either I'm working 12 hours a day, every single day, or I'm just gonna affirm and bring everything in. I, I don't think that it has to be that way. I think that there can be space to where you can allow things to be as they are coming up with difficulty and address the uncertainty as it comes and not just totally, I'm going to believe and let go of everything and everything's going to come to me only if I let go or, but, or not the opposite of control, but rather to, to be more critical, right? To have, to have at critical analysis instead of self-doubt right? Instead of constantly mm-hmm. crippling yourself with self-doubt and I have to control everything and not on the other end to think, oh, I need to uh, let go of everything. And only my, my internal blocks are the only reason why I'm not uh, succeeding, right? I think that there can be a balance between that to where we can manage our lives, right? And do things and do difficult things, right? Mm-hmm. And it, even to strive to do difficult things, right? But simultaneously not get trapped in the overworking, right? So Nietzsche said that we actually should seek out resistance because beyond that resistance is growth. And of course it's uh, it's said a million times, but the way he pointed out to me that you actually should seek growth, seek resistance instead of just not just deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. But actually seek resistance, that that is an indicator that there's some place in which you can grow that to me was very powerful. I think that that could be a, an antidote to that mindset of, well, if it's not coming easy, then it's not aligned with me. I think, no, it, there's higher values that you can appeal to. And you, you know, it doesn't just have to be easy or not right for you. Yes. Oh, I, 
I love resistance. So I love like, it's like my favorite thing to work with people. They're like, but there's so much resistance. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. much goodness. Because yes, I, I haven't heard that quote. I'm obsessed with that quote now. I'm like going to have to totally uh, remember that one because um, yes, there's so much growth after working with resistance. Like it's so good. I get like mm-hmm. so excited when people have resistance. Um, it's like such a gold mine. <laughs> so I love that, that you touched on that. But mm-hmm. I also love that you touched on the black and white thinking piece of this is like it's got to be either or and I think there is so much resistance to working with the nuance and complexity and paradoxes that exist in life and in the gray area in between the two options and the discernment that has to happen and the fact that there is no right answer you know, people want to be like, well, what should I do here? And it's like, well, it just depends. Like, where are you at personally? What's going on in your life? Like what? And it's, I think there is so much resistance. I know I've had a ton of resistance to this is to taking on our own personal, like responsibility and power back to be like, I have to, I'm the only one that can have this discernment of what is right for me in this moment. And taking on that responsibility doesn't mean you have to work through it alone. Like you can work through that with a coach, but the coach is just guiding you to the answers within yourself. Um, And that is really hard to grapple with when we are perfectionists to have to make a decision for ourselves that has so much nuance and complexity in it. So it's so easy to go to black and white thinking because it's like, well, if someone just tells me the answer, then I don't have to have that vulnerable choice that I'm making and have to deal with the potential like backfire of it or it not going right yeah right there's so you know for a perfectionist every decision becomes high stakes right yes so and because it's it's a risk of whether or not uh you're going to think of yourself as a good human being right Mm -hmm. it's like am I smart you know am I smart and I made the right choice or did I make the wrong choice and therefore I'm stupid, right? Yes. It's like, you know, those, you know, it's that black and white, you know, it's mm-hmm. that black and white where there's, there's no room for error. There's no, you know, it's a very strong internal rule that I must, I must choose correctly. Otherwise this meet, this is evidence that I'm stupid, right? And we, every belief that we have, um, there is confirmation bias, right? So where we, we seek the evidence for the things we already believe, right? So if we uh, believe that we are lazy or if we believe that we're not good enough, right? Which is the kind of the statement of shame and mm-hmm. shame is the thing which is kind of underlying perfectionism. So it's it's almost every perfectionist does in some way believe that they're not wor- worthy or that they're not lovable or that, uh, you know, in some way, some shape or form. Oh, yeah. So so this, this is operating underneath the surface when we are... Uh, feeling like uh, when, we, when we're anxious or when we feel like we can't decide what to do next or what to do first, right? You know, this is in some way operating beneath the surface and we don't really realize it. We don't realize that this seeking of evidence that, oh, maybe I'm not good enough or, oh, I can't decide because I'm stupid or I can't, you know, I can't follow through with this because I'm incompetent, right? Like we don't know that this is actually what's going on is that we're we're operating within the parameters of what we already believe. The mm-hmm. beliefs of that I'm not good enough or that I'm, I'm lazy or that I'm incompetent. We don't realize that, right? But we're, 
but we're seeing through that lens, right? Yes. That's, that's an important piece of what perfectionism actually is. It's looking through that lens that I'm not good enough and therefore I have to be perfect in order to convince others um, that I'm good enough and therefore I can believe it too. Totally. And I think this so points into the overthinking and then procrastination piece, right? Because if every decision is so high stakes, if your self-worth, right, is, is based on this decision of like, I have to get it right when I order for dinner tonight at this restaurant, which it sounds like a joke, but I literally used to be at that place of like, I like, this is what my brain would do. I'm like, I would order something after, you yes. know, spending way too long thinking about like, what do I want? What are the people around me going to think? Who am I with? Are they going to judge? Right. You know? And then it's like, order something that's like kind of disappointing or I try someone else's and it's better. I'm like, I can't even pick a meal. Like, how am I supposed to be an adult? I'm such a piece of shit. Like I can't even get my food right. As if I'm somehow supposed to miraculously know what everything at the restaurant tastes like. Like what? <laughs> like, yeah. how would I know which is the best option? Like it's so, but that's where my brain would go. Like 100%, like, and I would like spiral. So where I was going with that. I just had to share that. Um, but was, I've been there too. Oh my God. Right. And yeah. it's like, okay. yeah, it, it's amazing what our brains can extrapolate things out to mean. And so, but this leads to obviously at a restaurant, it's a little different. You only have so much time before you're pressured to order something or then, or then you can blame the waiter. Like, well, I picked the wrong thing because I felt too much pressure and he wasn't giving me time. It's not my fault. Right. We just yes. shift off responsibility. But right, anyways, right. right. Yes. Is when Blame, we have right. more spaciousness to make a decision, it leaves, that's where the overthinking piece comes in, right? That's where it's like, let me get my thesis or let me get my PhD on this topic before making a decision <laughs> because I have to make the right one. And then that direct, I'm sure like, that's right. That's where I find myself procrastinating. And I'm like, why have I spent four hours on Amazon looking up socks for my five-year-old. I am not saying this just happened like a month ago because it totally did. But I was like, oh my God, just pick a fucking pair of socks. Like, why am I going down these this review rabbit hole? Like, this is so ridiculous. And so I just had to be like, no, done. Cute, done. Who cares? <laughs> like, yeah. but yeah. right. So can you speak to that, like the overthinking piece and the procrastination piece and how it all relates to perfectionism? I actually want to first say yeah. something about the timeliness like you're it just happened a month ago and so I think that 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 is so important because uh perfectionists sometimes carry this perfectionistic mindset into how they heal mm, they yes. know right it's that idea that when I go to a therapist or a coach I'm going to heal from my perfectionism if if they're so self-aware because a lot of them are right? I'm going to heal. And then I'm never going to reveal perfectionistic tendencies ever again. I'm going to be perfectly healed, right? Yes. That's, that's the destination mindset that we want to get rid of, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, like there are going to be time, no matter, here's the, um, what may seem hopeless part, but it's not hopeless, right? Um, it's just, it, it's incremental improvement, right? Like here's the part is that people that are recovering, quote unquote, recovering perfectionists, they're not perfectly imperfect. They're not like always accepting or they're not, uh, you know, never self-criticizing or uh, totally compassionate or never procrastinating. You know, it's just that these uh, people that have learned to 
uh, work through their perfectionism and the shame and the self-criticism that comes up, they're just a little bit um, more untangled and they're a little bit more compassionate with when they do catch themselves doing those things that they don't, they don't like, right? They're, they don't attach the same meanings that perfectionists do to them, right? So that's one thing I think is really, really important to point out is that healing anything, right? But perfectionism specifically, it's not about it never happening again, right? It's, it's more about you being able to handle life differently, handle mm. the criticism differently, to handle procrastination differently, right? And to be able to work with the emotions that come up in a more, maybe more mature, uh, more healthy way. That's really important because there's going to be no point in, in the future where there's some destination where you're no longer going to ever have any symptoms of uh, anxiety or, or, or perfectionism ever again. That's important to know. Oh my gosh. Yes. Thank you so much for, for touching on that piece. Cause it's so important and it just, it parallels so beautifully with, with like the work that I do with chronic pain, because the end of the day, like no one is getting out of life pain-free for the rest of their life, right? Whether it's a different pain that comes up or the same one that does continue on, right? It is exactly what you just said. It's not about perfectly getting rid of it and healing it. It's about that we live with it in such a different way. It's like almost this partnering, this happens, this compassion, and almost like this like love of like, oh, old friend, here you are again. I know you so well. And it's like each time that happens, it's just like I, I'm able to like deepen into myself even more and get to know myself even more. And the more I can completely be with what comes up, it's like more of myself gets to come out. Like I get, yeah, get to know myself even better in this like really beautiful way. And mm. yeah, but it apps and I absolutely still catch myself in perfectionistic patterns. It's just I catch them a lot quicker versus spiraling out and literally you know, making, taking weeks to make a decision about socks. It was now like an hour of like, okay, here we are. I see exactly what's happening and I'm going to choose something different now. And there's no like self. I mean, there's probably a little stuff to judge judgment because that's not perfect either. Right. But it was like, okay, we can just move past, make a choice by and not think about it anymore. <laughs> yep. So. Yep. It, it saves you time when you're able to kind oh of gosh. like catch it earlier and you're just like, yes. oh, this is the dynamic of what's going mm -hmm. on right now. Oh, I get it. Right. And then yes. it can help you with just business decisions or just smaller decisions in your life or relationship decisions. And yeah, for sure. It just helps you to be able to catch and say, aha, okay, this is what's going on. I don't need to do this right now. Okay. Got it. Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's just such a different relationship of, of like we can be with it, like acknowledge it being here. We don't have to like shove it away or fix it or like do anything. It's just, again, there's so much more openness around it versus the forcing and fixing. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Right. And that's, <laughs> that's the control language that we're mm -hmm. talking about before. Right. It's that we need to, we need to get control of it. Right. Otherwise we're going to, if we lose control, it's going to take over. Right. And our minds are going to just take over. Right. But um, yeah, that's, that's the, the thing we want to move away from is trying to fix ourselves. That's still mm -hmm. operating within that belief system that there is something that is inherently wrong with us. Totally. And I'm curious 
what do you find, or maybe there's not one book, right? One being like, what's the one most helpful thing that's totally just falling into that, right? What is something that, or a couple of things that you find to be most helpful? Because I do find patterns of perfectionism and like needing to kind of fix ourselves is a, it's a really tricky and kind of sometimes really sneaky pattern to work with. Yeah. And I know for myself, I mean, and maybe that's just where I'm biased too, of I had an experience of, I had a concussion. I had a car accident that changed the way my brain was working. Like I had all these post-concussive syndromes all of a sudden, like I literally was not able to access, you know, the intelligence and working memory that I once had, right? Like I knew I had more potential. And so it's like, speaking to that balance of like, I knew there, I, I always felt a hope that things could shift for myself, but it really took me letting go of them needing to shift when they, and then they actually shifted. Right. And that mm-hmm. letting go, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, is it hard? Because it feel, I think for a while, it felt like it was giving up hope. Right. So right. yeah, I, I guess it's just like, how do you approach that with clients or just that feeling of like, we kind of do inherently know that when we can interact with these patterns differently, it does shift things in our lives. And Mm -hmm. when we're also attached to an outcome, it also keeps that control there. Mm -hmm. Like that Mm -hmm. concept of letting go is, you know, it's people talk about all the time. It's not so easy. Right. Right. Yeah. For me, the way that I usually work with my clients to, to address that and to actually change but not by control and fixing yeah. is to do some parts work um, mm-hmm. to help them to realize that their self-criticism and their shame, the thing that they think is helping them is actually has good intentions, but is further keeping them stuck. Right. So I think you said it in one of the past, maybe YouTube videos that I watched of you, it's something mm-hmm. about, uh, embracing that you're in full resistance. You think you said something like that and it yeah. really struck a, a chord with me. I know that you, you've you spoken very well, uh, at, at least for me, on, on resistance. And um, that's, that's important is that I help them to realize that they, they are tangled, right? To help them to realize the ways in which they're tangled up. And usually that comes with a cycle of, feeling the desire and the urge to get things right and perfectly and to do things well and to earn their sense of worth and that kind of turning into uh, anxiety that makes them procrastinate right and then that procrastination makes them feel not good enough and makes them feel guilty and that guilt causes them to overthink to want to control to not trust themselves which causes more anxiety and more uh, you know, kind of closing down and and closing off and thinking that they're not good enough, right? So there's a, a an intricate kind of cycle going on. And I, I think that it, what is important to do is to look honestly at the ways in which you are perpetuating that, that cycle. Mm-hmm. And for me, self-criticism seems to be one of the most important and first pieces, first steps, because if you're that's, a, that's like the throwing the logs in the fire. It's like you're just increasing that sense of shame 
by talking negatively to yourself about the things that you didn't do or the things that uh, you know you didn't do right or you know stuff like this. So mm -hmm. that's an important piece is working with the way you talk to yourself. Yes. And now if we were to simply shift the words and the language without shifting the beliefs, then it's you're just working on the surface level, right? Um, so what I usually do is I start to go deep into discover and find out what it is that made them believe in the first place that they weren't good enough or that they uh, maybe that they're that they're lazy or that they had to earn their sense of worth. But, you know, love is not given. It has to be earned and kind of shift this perspective. Right. This really helps is understanding what is the core belief that you have mm -hmm. and building counter evidence to that that tends to be a really uh, basic first level is understanding what, what you actually believe about yourself and the ways in which you feel that you don't measure up and that you feel, because, you know, the thing is perfectionism is not a striving to be perfect. It's, yeah. it's a, a striving to earn love, a striving to earn uh, whatever will release you from that sense of shame. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, you know, it's not for perfection. Perfection is just a placeholder for whatever you really want the basic needs being met for uh, emotional security for safety for belonging right totally so i help people to get in touch with the things that they believe about themselves that make them feel that they don't deserve those emotional needs to be met right and mm -hmm. we reinterpret those uh, beliefs those those memories that made them feel that way and help them to kind of uh, reframe what was happening and, and bring in more evidence that would counter that belief, right? And that helps them to kind of like, at least shake up some of the foundation of that because it could be very deep rooted, right? Yes. So once you begin to find evidence that can counter that belief that maybe, oh, I'm lazy or I'm, I'm not good enough or really I'm stupid, you know, once you start to find evidence, which you can find, but again, confirmation bias makes it harder to find that, that, that evidence. Mm -hmm. Once we begin to realize that and shift our perspective about who we are or what, what it takes to get others to love us, right? Yes. Um, once we do that, then that belief supports the kind of language, the language shift of mm -hmm. talking to ourselves in a different way, right? And then we can start to address the self-criticism and say, well, what's that self-criticism about? Oh, that self-criticism is, is trying to help us to become better mm -hmm. and it has a positive intention and we don't have to criticize our self-critical nature right yes and yes. right because that, that's another loop that's another way oh, to totally like oh i'm so hard on myself what's that's wrong with me I'm like now right? i have shame for being hard on myself and now i'm feeling guilty for having shame well now i'm frustrated that i'm having guilt and i'm like let's just keep building <laughs> building, building layers here, <laughs> but yes, sorry, go on. <laughs> just maybe yeah. because it's, that's what I used to do all the time. I should know right. better. I teach yes. this. <laughs> yes. That's how it sounds for anyone mm -hmm. listening. That's how it's going to sound. It, it's a should statement, right? Yes. Guilt is a, is a moral emotion, mm -hmm. right? Which is, has positive intentions, but usually will bring down our self-worth, right? Guilt, mm -hmm. you know, can lead to shame. Shame can lead to more guilt, right? So you have to be able to work with guilt in a healthy way because there is a, a healthy form of guilt if you did mm -hmm. something that was truly immoral, yeah. Yeah. right? 
but it's it's the unhealthy guilt that we use as a tool to increase our shame, right? Mm-hmm. That I should have done this, or oh, why didn't I do this? What's wrong with me? Like that okay. that should statement is something they should really look out for, yes. right? That's a chance. That's a chance to um, address the self criticism as it's coming up, right? And to look at it and say, oh, I get it. So I I don't hate myself, mm-hmm. right? Which would increase the sense of hopelessness. Oh, me saying that I should have done this and and what's wrong with me? That's actually my attempt f- for me to become better. Oh, mm-hmm. so it's not self hate. So I don't actually. Oh, got it. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So then you can show compassion towards the self criticism, which can open you up to different ways of doing what the self criticism is trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, because the self criticism is trying to make you better. When you realize that the self criticism has the intention to make you better but it's not doing its job, right? Totally, oh, absolutely, right? yeah. Once you realize that, you can start to say, oh, okay, maybe there's different ways of going about this. Maybe mm-hmm. I can um, do what the self-criticism is trying to do in a different way. Mm-hmm. And you can show compassion with the self-criticism, which releases some of the pressure, Yes. right? So once you kind of unravel that layer, then it's a matter of what else do I say instead? What else, how else could I interpret this situation Oh, it, well, you know what? I'm, crit- I'm criticizing myself for procrastinating. Oh, well, what if I show compassion towards my procrastination? Oh, if, what if I understand that my procrastination isn't about laziness, right? The core belief, laziness. But it's really about the fact that I'm very anxious and I want to avoid my, my own sense of guilt and, and self-criticism. So I'm pushing myself and pushing myself to do this thing. And that anxiety makes me want to avoid that even more. Oh, it makes sense. Most people that are really, really hard on themselves when they fail will probably avoid that thing that makes them anxious. So yeah, I I could see why I'm procrastinating. I could see why I'm criticizing myself. And you understand and show emotional uh, understanding, which is compassion, right? In Mm -hmm. some way, um, towards those parts of yourself. And that slowly helps to unravel, right? But I I usually start with the belief Mm -hmm. in the subconscious that we bring up. Um, maybe with like laddering or some other thing, mm-hmm. things that help with that. Um, and then that, that shift in the surface level of the thoughts, emotions, and semi surface level of thoughts, emotions, and behaviors mm-hmm. that are more on the, that are a little bit more on the conscious level. Mm-hmm. That's when that can begin to shift. And I think that unraveling it with compassion can help you to catch that, that narrative of, oh, I'm doing a bad thing, so I have to criticize myself, or I'm criticizing myself, which is a bad thing, so I have to shame my self-criticism, which only perpetuates the cycle. So you basically, because shame is the root of, it's it's the root emotion, it's a secondary emotion, it's not a primary emotion, but, you know, it's a a response, but Mm -hmm. because that is in some way the root of perfectionism, that's the thing that has to be worked with, and you have to not feel shame for feeling shame, right? Totally. <laughs> you know? Which is why perfectionists get stuck because they're like, oh, yeah. I, don't, I'm not, I don't want to admit that I'm a perfectionist. Yeah. You know, like then that would mean that I'd be, be flawed. That would mean that I, that I would be insecure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's a, a really a stuck area that a lot of people, a lot of perfectionists are, are at right now. But really what it's about is it's working through the shame on multiple levels, the way it, it manifests itself in your anxiety or in the way you criticize yourself but also in the core beliefs that you don't really consciously hear or pay attention to. Um, 
but those beliefs that that are shameful that think that shame is I am not enough right mm -hmm. so working through that shame for me um, and bringing it up to bring it into light and the way it manifests that seems to be the way that I help people and I know that that's it takes some time right you have to yes. be patient um, but that's uh, that's essentially what I do to help people Oh, that's so good. And it's, it's, it's cool to, it's cool to hear that. Cause I haven't gotten to hear that part. And I'm like, Oh, no wonder we resonate so much. Cause I feel like we operate at like very similar levels of like parts work. And I, I love that you bring in the nuance of like, yeah, we look at beliefs, but it's like, you have to work with it in the nervous system. And then you also need to like, you know, you're pulling in of like, then replacing it with something else. Right. I feel like all too often people get like stuck with only like one aspect of it. And it's, it's just complex. We are complex beings. <laughs> As you just worked through all that, I just think it's, it so speaks to the importance of working with someone. Mm. I, I, honestly, I think if we, at least for me, there is no way I could have done this alone. We are so just, we're just too in it ourselves to see it. And it is just so helpful to have someone mirror things back to you. Just give a different way of shift. Ask a question that is like, whoa, I would have never even like there are just some things where it's like, no, there's absolutely no way this could be the wrong approach. I must do it this way, right? Like you're so stuck at that that you can't, like you just, you have your blinders on. And so I feel yeah. like it just speaks to the importance of, of coaching and like whichever way that is. Like, I think sometimes like I, I have a group container now and I feel like being able for perfectionists to see that they are not the only ones dealing with this has been like mm. such like a catalyst for healing because I think right with the shame and perfectionism, it's like, I'm the only one I don't, but like, you know, I remember my coach telling me like, you're not the only one, you're not alone. I'm like, yes, I am. I'm the only one <laughs> in the history of people who has had this much resistance and like, it must just be me. And when I got into like a container, right. Whereas like other people too, it was like, holy crap, I'm really not the only one. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I had to untangle so much. And I mean, I, I work both ways now with like a, I have my own one-on-one -on -one coach. And then I also like have a group container that I'm in. Cause it's just, I just, I just want to give people permission to seek out help and guidance with this is really what I'm trying to get at because it's, it's a lot, it can be a lot. And, um, it's just nice to know someone like yourself who deals with it on such like a, a comprehensive and complex level in such like a compassionate level too. So thank you for, for being you and providing that to people. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. And go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Just something came up for me. Like mm -hmm. I said that um, something that I just, an idea. And I think that we mm -hmm. can, you know, talk about this after the podcast, but there might be some way that we could, uh, you know, do something, you know, create a container for others, you know, mm -hmm. in, in that way about perfectionism. I think that this is something that, you know, you work with a lot of perfectionists. I do too. I mean, there, there might be an opportunity here, um, you know, because I mean, there are containers out there for perfectionism, but there's yeah. also a space that we could create. So this is just an interesting mm. thing that just came up for me. But uh, yeah, it just excited me. I love it. I love it. No, I, yeah, let's, let's chat more afterwards. And I think it's great because I think, yeah, I think for so now, now we're just going to riff on, on group spaces. I know for so many, and at my, this was my own perspective as well and experiences is there's a lot of group spaces that are not about growth. It's about, you know, relating on a level of 
oh, you have this too. We all have it and we're all stuck in it. There's, there's no facilitation happening for the growth piece. Mm. And I think a lot, I know for chronic pain, at least a lot of there's, I know I myself was in those types of containers for like, when I was trying to heal my concussion, it was like, oh my gosh, like I had to do therapy for being in those groups. It was the most negative space ever. It was just the the, the unfortunate reality. And it's mm-hmm. like, it wasn't until I experienced a group that was based on like growth and compassion and like so much acceptance for wherever anybody was and had everyone's best interest at heart that it was like, holy crap, this is like the most amazing healing space ever. Like, and again, our mm-hmm. nervous systems were social beings. Like we need to see others and witness others and just there's sometimes p- parts of ourselves that we don't even know to speak to until someone else speaks to it. And you're like, oh my gosh, I, I believe that too, but I didn't even know I believe it. It was such on such a deep level. Right. So I don't know, mm. group, groups are like, they're like my new favorite thing. Cause they're just so freaking healing. So <laughs> just wanted to yeah. say that all. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the word that popped into my head is a uh, victimhood, right? It's like yes. a lot of the it's supporting victimhood or it's like, like, yeah, I think that's a, it's something to definitely look out for because I, I know mm-hmm. those spaces do exist where you're just like coming to talk about your story and further ingrain your story, right? And yes. come, you know, and and oh, this is what happened, and have sympathy for me, and right. Mm-hmm. But um, to touch on that last piece you said about people in some way needing to have someone to help them, mm-hmm. I think it's very difficult for perfectionists to admit that, totally. right? So that, that that's something that has to be worked through. It's like I. I just, I have to do it alone. I, no, I can't rely on someone, right? I can't trust them to be there for me, mm-hmm. right? Because if they if they see that I'm not enough, they're going to judge me like I judge myself and they're going to leave, right? Yes. So it's very hard for perfectionists and a lot of people, but also perfectionists to commit to that, right? Mm-hmm. To say, you know what? Damn, maybe I, I do need someone. And what I'll say is this, like maybe, maybe you could do some of this stuff alone Probably you can do some of this stuff alone, mm-hmm. but at the very, very least, you're going to get there much, much slower, yes. right? Um, and also I'll say is that there, that whole thing you said about blind spots is the, is the main point there. It's that there, there are things you probably won't be able to, unless you study the things that we study, you probably won't be able to catch in yourself, mm-hmm. right? And even at that, you know, listen to Andrea, listen to me, like we have coaches and, and therapists, like for a reason, because mm-hmm. it's very, very difficult to see your own blind spots, even when you're trained in this stuff. Yes. Right. Like even when you're trained in this stuff, you know, it's very difficult. So there is infinite value in the years of suffering that you will save from mm. being contorted and twisted and tangled up in your own idea of what you're supposed to be. Oh, so, so well said. And I can't tell you the number of times I have been like in a, in a session with my coach or a, you know, boxer with her or something, or she'll say something and be like, damn it. I literally just told my client the same thing. Yes, I'm doing uncanny. it too. <laughs> it's like, yep. got it. It's hilarious. I was like, you don't have to say anymore. I got it. I get it. I see it now. And it's like, I can literally like, it's, it's, we can be really, really good at something and it's still, it doesn't mean you can just like see something for yourself. So yes, 100% to that. And um, I was going to ask you one more thing and then I can want to be respectful of your time. And, um, and that is like, what do you see open up for people when they work with this perfectionist? 
piece? Like what changes in their lives? Like if you want to either share just like one particular story or just an overview, whichever, whichever way it feel, feels right for you. Yeah. Uh, generally, it's more joy, mm. more freedom, less uh, harshness, more compassion, uh, more of a sense of uh, open heartedness and, and will, mm. willing to love, willing to be vulnerable. There's more connection. Um, there's a story of a client of mine. I won't mention the person's name, mm -hmm. um, but she she was struggling with a sense of not being enough, and this came from her her father. And she she really really wanted to um, achieve a successful business, and because her father was was you know semi successful in his business, but lost it. And um, what was really helpful for her was connecting back to the fact that it wasn't about her father's sense of her worth but about her own sense of her worth that she developed from him mm. and realizing that she was still holding on to this it kind of shifted in her that she had so many beliefs that she took on about what it meant to be an entrepreneur and mm. kind of shifting these things it opened up so much for her she was able to she actually doubled her bit her business income in a month yeah. right wow. so it's like yeah, it's like that was that was beautiful how there can be such a, a a strong correlation between the productivity and income that we have and the internal state that we're in, right? Yes. It's such a strong correlation. And when we are contorted and we don't believe that we deserve these things, it can really, really damage our ability to uh, to feel free in our business and to do what we want, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the times, what happens is when we make these shifts towards freedom, towards opening up and moving away from the harsh rules of the perfectionist, usually it's a much more creativity, much more joy, much more of a sense of belonging to the world. Mm. And that, that it, from that, it comes everything else, right? But yes. it's, the, it's the framework that we're looking at the life in. Uh, looking at life in it's the framework that we're seeing ourselves in the mirror with and from that all all the other things are open and, and free as possibilities but generally what happens is a shift in the way you treat yourself and a sense of joy a sense of creativity a sense of uh connection to deeper parts of yourself that's essentially yes. what opens up when you're not trying to be who you had to be right for everyone else so that's that's usually what happens when perfectionism yes. gets handled and, and worked through mm, so so beautifully said and um why don't you and i'll, I'll put it in the show notes and everyone uh, and everything but you can let people know how they can find you and i always always love seeing your reels pop up in my instagram because they're always so good i'm always like oh this is so good i relate so much <laughs> so nice. i just really enjoy your content so definitely go follow tj if you uh, struggle with perfectionism because he's his reels are on point <laughs> yeah thank and you i appreciate you know, that at, yeah you're at tj meager is that yeah. correct yeah yep so it's at underscore mm -hmm. oh yeah and first at underscore tj m-e-a-g-h-e-r that's awesome. my my handle i mean i put i put things on linkedin as well you can find me mm -hmm. there um but mostly it's uh, on instagram that i put my stuff up so you awesome. can find me there yeah 
Awesome. Cool. And you do one-on-one coaching with people, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm building out other offers, right? Like I'm building out some, some other things. I want to start getting into Mm -hmm. retreats. I want to start getting in because I like that, that intimate space. Um, So I'm going to build out some retreats, but for right now, I'm just, uh, I have a roster of one-on-one clients that I work with. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my main focus for now. Awesome. I love it. And we'll keep an eye out for anything else you have to offer in the future. Very exciting. Well, (laughs) thank you so, so much for being on here. I absolutely love this conversation. Such, such an important one. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Andrea. Oh, that was so good, right? I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. He was so much fun to talk to. And I highly suggest following him on Instagram. He really does a beautiful job of breaking down some of these concepts into these short little snippets on reels and just has so much awesome insight if you find yourself in these patterns like many of us do. I know I often still find myself there even though I teach this because we are all humans. Now, before you go, make sure if you haven't already that you have signed up for the free masterclass. It is February 13th. It is called Do Not Let Chronic Pain Stop You From Living. In this masterclass, you will learn how to live an active and fulfilling life now. You will learn how what you have been doing to approach your chronic pain may actually be unintentionally keeping you in pain and how to approach it in a different way. I'll be walking you through all of that. So make sure you get signed up. Again, even if you can't attend live, you will get a replay as long as you register. And if you happen to be listening to this in the future, check out the link there. The replay link will be up for a while to register for. Um, for. So just make sure you're trying to do that as soon as possible. And sorry if it's not there anymore. But all right, I hope to see as many of you there as possible on Monday. It is going to be a brilliant masterclass and with tons of time for Q&A at the end as well. All right, see you next time.